And we want to talk about Palmetto Distillery in Anderson, South Carolina. It's redefining taste and reinventing tradition. Tell me more, Michael. Located in the heart of downtown Anderson, this place was founded by brothers Trey and Brian Boggs, who are redefining taste with authentic spirits that will change the way you drink. Born in the South and raised in tradition, Palmetto Distillery is bringing quality spirits to drink lovers everywhere. Seton, we got some uh, new code for them to get uh, take advantage of. Yeah, the code is WICKED, W-I-C-K-E-D, 24, for 25% off your purchase. One-time use only. Very good. South Carolina's first legal moonshine distillery, established in 2011. 12 moonshine flavors, collection of sipping cream, award-winning palmetto whiskey. New product releases coming in 2024. They've got tours and tastings every day. And sign up for the loyalty program, too, to get the special promotions, etc. And if you're in the neighborhood... They have a great collection of moonshine stills on display, ranging from a 30-gallon still to a 1,000-gallon copper still, as well as a still made by fifth-generation bootleggers just for them. Check them out, palmettodistillery.com. It has been called the world's oldest profession, prostitution. Immoral sexual acts performed for price by women society often refers to as harlots, hookers, or worse. You can find these houses of ill repute in every state in America, and in some places this ancient trade is even legal. But in today's episode of The Wicked South, we are going to take you to the best little whorehouse in South Carolina and meet an author who has spent years uncovering its secrets. Hello, friend. Voice you heard there is Michael DeWitt, author, historian, journalist, storyteller. You can find his work in the USA Today network of papers. He wrote the book, The Wicked Hampton County, and also wrote The Fall of the House of Murdoch. I am Matt Harris. Seton Tucker is with me. And uh, Seton, where can they find... This podcast. You can find us on Facebook at The Wicked South. And uh, we would love if you would rate and share the episode and comment on it. That would be fantastic. Uh, and, and Michael DeWitt, tell us uh, about the sponsors we have for this episode. We have Rotten Little Bastard Distillery right here in Beaufort, South Carolina. We've got Dr. Kenny Kinsey and Associates. He does all types of criminal investigations. Uh expert witness uh, testimony, things of that nature. He's got a private eye service, all kinds of wonderful things to help keep people safe and legal. And we've got Palmetto Distillery, uh, the first legal moonshine maker in South Carolina, located in Anderson in the upstate. So make sure you support our sponsors. They're the ones who make it possible that we can still do this thing. Or if you'd like to hit the little donation button at the bottom of your Apple podcast, that'd be swelled too. It's funny how many times people have said to me over the last two years that we were doing the Impact of Influence podcast that you should do the Sunset Lodge in Georgetown. You got to talk about that. My psychiatrist, that tells you something, was telling me about this. Uh, Sunset Lodge in Georgetown, the story of a madam. The author is David Hodges, and he joins us right now. Hello, David. Thanks for joining us. It's good to be with you. Before we get going, let's set the... uh, 
the landscape for us. For those who don't know about the Sunset Lodge in Georgetown, the years of operation, and uh, give us kind of a setting for how this whole, as far as we know, uh, transpired. There was a uh, woman came who came from Chicago, and she went to Florence, South Carolina, and stayed there about um, oh, about seven or eight years until uh, a new mayor was elected on the on the uh, platform of getting uh, of firing the chief of police for not shutting down the brothels. There were about half a dozen of them in Florence, so she took off and went to Georgetown. And this was in 1936, and uh, things were happening in 1936 in South Carolina, particularly in Georgetown. One was the Depression, and uh, there were several reasons uh, that she moved to Georgetown. Uh, One was that the largest paper and pulp mill in the world was about to start construction, Mm. which meant um, there would be... um, steel workers coming down from Pittsburgh to help build the plant. And, um, and so it's a perfect time for her to settle in Georgetown. Also, there was a, um, a coastal road, which is now highway 17 that, uh, was connecting Florida to Maine. And it was finished in 1936 in Georgetown. So now she went from Florence, which was a railroad town, to Georgetown, which was becoming a car town. Uh-huh. And, and so she was able to pick up the business by cars. And, uh, and then the Intracoastal Waterway was also just finishing up. Uh, people would go from New York to Miami uh, by, uh, by boat. They wouldn't have to go out into the ocean. Uh, so they, they, in the Intracoastal Waterway, when it was finished, they could, a lot of pleasure boats went up and down uh, the coast. Mm. And finally, um, Tom Yawkey lived or, or at least owned 20,000 acres in Georgetown. And Tom Yawkey was the owner of the Boston Red Sox, uh, and was one of the richest men in America. So all those factors pushed her to Georgetown and, uh, and then she settled in and was there for 33 years. She ran the place from 1936 until she retired in 1969, she was a force to, to uh, deal with, uh, not only uh, from the income that she made, uh, she, I think she was one of the richest women in South Carolina, but also I think she was the, one of the most powerful women in South Carolina. Wow. Well, it's interesting that she called it the Sunset Lodge. I, my husband's from Florence, and there was, there was a house of ill repute uh, called Ruby's in Florence. Um, yes. So it was just interesting, and we would. It was. It's right across from a gas station, and it's. It, it honestly, there's. It looks like a hoarding mess. Uh, but, wait, wait, still open? Are you saying? No, it's not open, <laughs> no, but but the, the, your, the, the property is still there. Oh. Um, I yeah, I think right. Ruby has long passed, but your husband still, never visited. Not that he's informed me. No. <laughs> <laughs> he might want to keep that to himself. Um, is Ruby is Ruby the one with the pink Cadillac out front? Yes. Yep. That's it. Wow. Okay. Um, so what inspired you? I, I saw that you are, you know, a father, you know, married for a long period of time. What inspired you to uh, research this place and write a book about it? Innocent. Just innocence. That's was my part. Um, <laughs> I was 
all I was trying to do was to uh, give a paper for a group I'm in. And uh, we, we meet once a month and have dinner together. This would be 30 guys. And we then we could take turns giving academic papers. And so I was just looking for something to speak about. And I called a friend of mine who was uh, fairly high placed in information uh, uh, gathering. And I said, what do you um, what do you know about the Sunset Lodge? And he said, oh, well, uh, I don't know of anything published, but he said, well, let me tell you a couple of stories. And he told me two magnificent stories. So I thought, well, that's kind of cool. So I, the next guy I talked to, I said, uh, what do you know about the Sunset Lodge? And he held his hand up and said, well, I never went there, <laughs> but let me tell you a story. And it became a storytelling project where I would be gathering information and put them in, uh, typing up the typing up the uh, stories and putting them in a three-ring binder. And it was just fun. I was just having a good time. And then I started being asked to speak about it. And um, and over time, I was eventually uh, was encouraged uh, uh, to write a book about it. I'm kind of jealous. Um, you guys live in these big towns in the upstate. I live in little old Hampton here in the low country. And we didn't have, <laughs> we didn't have a brothel on, on every corner when I was coming up. I mean, <laughs> we only have two liquor stores in the whole town right now. Um, the uh, I'm a little jealous. Uh, there were some some uh, prostitutes that got busted back in the 80s. I remember reading in the old Guardians uh, in Yemisee, right off the interstate. They busted a few prostitutes. Uh, their pictures were in the Guardian, and I'm a little jealous there. But anyway, in Sunset Lodge, well, you call this place the worst kept secret in South Carolina history, a perfect example of hide in plain sight. Tell us what that means. Well, a friend of mine, um, I was uh, had him read the book, uh, the manuscript for me, and I think you're referring to some of the the quotes at the beginning of the book. And his his opinion was that it was sitting there three miles south of Georgetown, and because nobody um, made an issue of it, it just sat there. Hazel Weiss, who was the madam, controlled her environment extraordinarily well. She did not let her employees uh, go to Georgetown without company. No fewer than two, uh, no more than three could go at one time. Uh, typically, she had uh, her chauffeur take them. She trained them not to look at uh, men in the eye, not to speak to them on the sidewalk, not to acknowledge ever having seen them before. And so she controlled her environment. And And so I think what my friend was making the reference to was nobody said anything, and it just went on along without anybody saying it. She was uh, quite the business person you talk about uh, in the book, but she also uh, was connected, if you will say. The South Carolina legislature, every spring when it was adjourned, uh, Hazel made sure that the legislature was taken care of. Is that correct? Well, it was actually uh, worse than that. Um, she uh, invited them down to uh, Georgetown every spring for a week. For a whole week. And for a week. Uh, and so the legislature informally adjourned that oh, week. Informally. And she, she, closed the, she closed the brothel to everybody except legislators and judges. And... <laughs> 
and I have to assume everything was free that week. <laughs> and, um, and so she was a very powerful woman. I, and I read they, uh, they stopped by the Pamela club in Columbia to pick up box lunches <laughs> yeah, for the 125 true. mile drive to Georgetown. Uh, <laughs> well, they didn't want to go into a restaurant on the way down together. Right. Uh, they thought that would be, uh, obvious. I'm going to take a quick break and talk about one of our sponsors. Hope you'll support these people. We are very proud to have them as part of the podcast. It's Rotten Little Bastard, RLB for short. They offer a fun and informative tasting tour at their preferred distillery, along with some spirits you can only get at this distillery. And of course, you can find their St. Helena Shine corn whiskey, King Tide Vodka, Boundary Street Rum, Spanish Moss Gin, and Kusa Cut Bourbon as well as their Bravest Bull Whiskey with Ginger, available in many South Carolina liquor stores. I am really super curious to try the Spanish Moss Gin. That's not something I've ever heard of, and it sounds delicious. They all sound delicious to me. In fact, I want to leave this podcast right now and go have a, a glass of moonshine. <laughs> and I can't wait to try the Bravest Bull Whiskey with Ginger. I'm going to mix it with a little bit of ginger ale. and mm. uh, But anyway, I'm getting off topic. <laughs> RottenLittleBastardDistillery.com Well, you interviewed several older people who say that they were once customers at the Sunset Lodge. Uh, I was surprised that they they admitted it. Uh, <laughs> I saw one was a furniture salesman. Uh, <laughs> what can you tell us about these customers, and are there any prominent people or celebrities? Most of the men I talked to uh, would have fled the room had I pulled out a tape recorder. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. They were very interested in not being identified. And and candidly, uh, a lot of these folks are, are fairly w- well known now. And they're, uh, you know, we're talking about the captains of business. We're talking about some preachers. Uh, we're just talking about people who went through a stage maybe early in life, and then they later regretted it and was embarrassed by it and didn't want to uh, acknowledge it. And so some of those folks were slow to talk about it. It was a different situation, though, it seemed like to me. Like, I saw there was one person who worked in Myrtle Beach, and, you know, the situation in Myrtle Beach where, where these women were openly um, soliciting themselves, this was more of a, it seemed like an upscale experience. These, I don't know. It, we're, well, it was we're not a here to time. make a moral judgment no. on this in this episode. We're just, uh, but I mean, obviously, there would be a little dark side to all of this, uh, having a brothel there that married guys are going in and out of. Did you did you uh, find any of those stories when you were uh, researching for the book? Oddly, no. Uh, you know, and and the and the thing that that bothered me uh, when I was researching and writing it was that you never heard those stories. You never heard about the families that were uh, broken up. You never heard about the uh, the men who were impacted uh, negatively. Uh, with their relationships with their spouses. And it occurred to me that these stories are too personal. They cut too deep. So they wouldn't share those, yeah. They weren't going to share those. Um, some of the stories I heard were hysterically funny. And and it was all light and, and airy, and everybody was, oh, yeah, let me tell you about my little, what I heard about the Sunset Lodge and all this sort of stuff. But nobody came to me and said, you know, I got divorced or, or I lost my children because of it. I mean, it, it really bothered me that um, that that was the 
underlying um, truth of the matter, but nobody will discuss it. You describe Madam Hazel as a shrewd woman, and uh, in other places in the book, uh, you talk about her philanthropy. The business itself was uh, described in one uh, part in the beginning as Georgetown's own little united way. Uh, that's I, true. I know from uh, researching the, the Murdoch family history that a, a historical character can be both, uh, you know, criminal and do some good deeds for the community. I think the Murdochs did a lot of stuff for their community, from building roads to donating to charities. So tell us about this two-sided character. Hazel did a lot. Uh, one could, could argue that she was buying off the town, but it seemed to be her personality anyway. The paper mill in Georgetown um, was uh, philanthropic and gave a lot of money away. And best I can tell from the stories I've heard, uh, Hazel gave away more money than they did. But she never wanted to be identified. Uh, although, as you know, um, people talk. And uh, but she helped. She helped with the hospital. Um, she helped uh, every time there was um, a death uh, in a family due to um, an accident at the uh, mill or any 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 uh, concerns. Often were met with um, somebody going to see them and giving them money and saying, uh, this is from the community. But everybody knew it was from Hazel. And so she was just a very uh, generous person, uh, gave a lot of money away, and she was their own little United Way. David, you mentioned uh, humorous stories a moment ago. There's a couple I read in there. The one is about the hearse, uh, <laughs> her story. Can, can you uh, give us that story or maybe another one sure. of your favorites? Well, the the her story is the is the most famous of all of them. Yeah, and uh, and that one I've heard more. I've probably heard that story fifty times over <laughs> the years uh, from people who knew certain amounts of the story. Some people didn't even know where it was. They didn't know anything about it. They would say, "Well, there was this place, and this and this uh, guy was called in there because he uh, with his wife outside," but I actually know the name of the fellow who uh, did it oh, in Georgetown. And um, and by the time he died, uh, he was telling the story on himself. Oh, uh, <laughs> so let's which, hear this story. Well, he was a local gentleman who lived in Georgetown. Uh, he was at the sunset one night. A buddy of his came up to him and said, uh, hey, your wife is outside in uh, your car. Uh-oh. And... Um, and so he didn't know what to do. Uh, he had hidden his car in the um, back in the woods. Uh, Hazel had ended up buying about 20 acres around her. And, and men from lo- the local men would hide their cars back in the woods so nobody would <laughs> see it. Yeah. yeah, so twenty about 20 minutes later, uh, here comes a hearse uh, backing up to the Sunset Lodge. And two guys hop out with a uh, stretcher. And they run in and they come out about five minutes later with the dead guy on the stretcher with a sheet over his head. (laughs) Uh, They slide him in and and they take him home and he puts on his pajamas and he turns (laughs) on the TV. And when she shows up after 
waiting a while and, and being frustrated because nothing ever happened. She walked in and, and he said, uh, where have you been? <laughs> the question is, did he ever go back after that? <laughs> I don't know. So he said, and she said, well, where have you been? And he said, I've, I've been with the sheriff all night looking for uh, my car. It's been stolen. Oh, geez. He keeps going. And, and she said, well, let's see about that. So she picked up the phone and called the sheriff. And she identified herself and said, have you seen my husband tonight? He said, yes, ma'am. Uh, we couldn't find your car tonight, but I'm positive we'll find it tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the most famous story. The law enforcement, I mean, they weren't really doing anything about this place. They they, they, they were in on well, it. Well, I slightly disagree with that. I, I think they deserve some credit for the way they were able to handle this. A brothel in a town uh, is awfully hard to get rid of. And it's like playing whack-a-mole. One opens up, another one closes, another one closes, another one opens up. Sure. And even now, today, you can read the paper and find uh, brothels that pop up and they get people get arrested. The folks in Georgetown, yes, there was there was one there, but there's only one. The best I can tell, looking at newspapers and reports and such of, of arrests, that was the only one there. And so they contained it in gotcha. such a way that um, that I'm I'm not nearly as critical of the law enforcement in Georgetown as some are. I understand. <laughs> David, I think that her story was my absolute favorite story of the book. And uh, it's hard to tell a lot of times in those stories uh, what is fact and what, you know, when you tell a story, you kind of embellish it and, and it becomes uh, almost a legend over time. And you don't know what's truth and what's just, uh, you know, a good story. And I had that problem when I was researching the two books I did on the Hampton County history and the Murdoch history. You know what you can prove was fact from newspaper documents and court documents. And then you hear such wonderful stories that you just can't prove. So I had a problem or a challenge, rather, uh, how to handle rumor versus versus fact and history. Um, and I see from your introduction, you had the same kind of challenge. You um Tell us how you handled fact versus fiction and, uh, and telling a good story. That, that's a great question. Um, the, uh, when you're dealing with uh, an illegal facility uh, that, was, uh, that closed over 50 years ago, uh, it's impossible to tell what's real. Uh, and, and so when I wrote the book, um, I, I tried to divide it into the parts of the book that would be uh, footnoted and, and the histories and such as that. And then the, the second section were just the stories. And uh, some of the stories I know are true uh, because of the, um, the people who, who told them to me. There was the initiation story uh, where the, um, the fellow who was uh, a freshman at the University of South Carolina uh, was sent down with a friend of his to um, Georgetown to get a napkin signed by the madam and um, and to have breakfast uh, with the employees of the brothel. <laughs> and breakfast. So, Hazing at its best. <laughs> the two freshmen drove down early one morning 
and knocked on the back door of the of the brothel, which is how you got into to the place, and it was locked, of course. And Hazel opened the door, and they stumbled through trying to explain why they were there. And she held up her hand and said, fraternity initiation? And and they nodded, and she said, come on in. And so they sat and they they had they they sat down at the table and uh, women were coming in from upstairs and and helping eggs and bacon and uh, eating and one of the uh, the two um, was quite enamored uh, with with one of the women the other the other one the one who was telling the story uh, was pretty intimidated and just drank his coffee. At one point, this uh, the friend asked him for the keys to his car, so he drove off. And about 45 minutes, he came back and asked uh, my friend if he was ready to go. And he <laughs> said, uh, "Yeah, I'm I'm past ready. We have the envelope, I and mean, we have the uh, napkin signed by Hazel, and uh, let's go." And so they left, and they walked out to the car, and and my friend looked in the back seat and said, "Why is our spare tire?" In the back seat, he said, "Well, I tried to sell it to get some money f- uh, for that girl, but um, they would only <laughs> give me ten dollars." <laughs> so, so you, you say, the, "All right." So that I know is true because that was a first-person story. Ten dollars. <laughs> um, and uh, but there are a lot of them. Um, I was all I was able to do was to take the punchline of the story and work back. To create the situation that would make the punchline make sense. That's understandable. Uh, which, uh, for example, uh, somebody told me about a heating and air guy who went to put in a, uh, what do you call it, uh, an air conditioner in a window at the Sunset Lodge. And, and he noted that he noticed the same woman going upstairs several times while he was there putting in this uh, uh, air conditioner. And uh, the punchline was that he uh, said that um, that when by the time he left, he realized that she had made more money uh, while he was there than he did. <laughs> and so that was just the punchline. So I had to work back to uh, write a story that made sense as to why that would have occurred. Gotcha. And um, and so it was just really it's really hard to but I'm not representing them all to be true because how can you right how can you confirm something 75 years ago right well let's talk about these women um, where did they come from how long did they say um, I, I saw you had a, a, I think two that you interviewed for your book tell us a little bit about them. Well, I, I found two. I didn't get to interview them, and that was my great regret. Uh, I never got to speak to any of them. I had so many questions, uh, like, where did you come from, and, and how did you get here, and, and who invited you? And um, But the uh, neither one would talk to me. Um, I found one of them through a physician in, in Georgetown who said that told me that one of his patients was a— uh, uh, a retired uh, lady who had worked at the Sunset, and uh, so I asked him to ask her for me if uh, if she would talk to me. Uh, I didn't care about her name. I didn't care about anything. I just wanted to get some answers. 
And uh, he sent me a, a fax one day and said she specifically said no. Uh, I found another one who lived not far away, had gotten married. Um, and people people gave me her name, her address, her phone number, everything. They all knew. Right. No one would introduce me because their relationship with the lady did not include them knowing about her past. Mm-hmm. And so I finally wrote her a note one day and just told her what I was about. And, um, and she never responded and I wasn't going to harass her. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't going to go chase her down. So I just let it drop. So I, I really have some questions about how, how Hazel recruited women. She got no one from Georgetown County. I, I do know that. Mm-hmm. And, and they stayed uh, roughly six months to a year based on people I talked to who like the banker, the, the fellow who ran the bank, uh, they would put in, they would put their monies in the bank and then check and then uh, withdraw them when they moved on. And, um, you know, he said that they were there no more than a year. Yeah. Um, so was there ever a real big push to close the place? No, uh, there, there was a preacher in town, um, who uh, went to the grand jury every year and wanted her to be arrested and be shut down, but nothing ever happened. I do know that uh, there was a group of of preachers who went to see the sheriff one day and said, um, uh, and this is, this is terrible. This is a cancer on our town. Uh, We, we, you need to get rid of this place. Uh, We've got to do, we got to do something about this. This is awful. And, and once they vented, uh, he said, he said, well, we tell you, preachers come and go, but we have to live here. Send me your elders and your deacons and I'll shut it down. Well, that was the end of that because the elders and the deacons weren't willing to do that. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Well, let's talk about, uh, what happened to the Sunset Lodge after it shut down. Well, the reason it shut down is uh, Hazel was 69 years old. Uh, She was old, she was tired, and she was sick. She ended up dying in 1974. The story I heard was that she went to the sheriff. In fact, the sheriff, there was a reference in a a newspaper article after it closed where the, the sheriff had actually said that she came to see him and said it, it was time to close. And one reference I, I, I read was that she basically gave him the opportunity to shut her down. In other words, take credit for the, uh-huh. uh, take credit for the closure. However, it happened. Um, she did, uh, close in December of 1960. And, um, she called, um, a young couple in Georgetown and asked them to buy her house. They had two small children and they, they told her that they couldn't afford it, that it was uh, too much and they couldn't get a loan. So she basically lent them the money. She, she held the paper, she held the mortgage for them and they paid her every month and they moved in and she just moved back to the garage apartment where she's lived all these years. Hmm. So nobody got arrested. Nobody. There were no blue lights. There was no, um, uh, there was nothing public. It just closed. But did some but people the, show up? Uh, knocking on the door. <laughs> knocking on the door at some point the, after? The, 
Well, the 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 lady who I, uh, uh, who bought it, who I got to talk to, I actually got to interview her. She said it took it took men a long time <laughs> to to <laughs> figure out that the place had closed, and she was quoted in a in a newspaper article in Myrtle Beach as saying that ten cars a day uh, showed up for three years. Oh my. Uh, what did you think the children thought? I did see that they they changed out the mattresses. Mattresses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Seton. So I was I more amazed. I thought it was very appropriate that it closed in '69, but that's a whole other story. Oh no, <laughs> you're in timeout again. I'm in mean, timeout again. Um, so well, you know, you hear about houses getting haunted, like if someone is murdered in the house, there's a ghost in the house. What if there's a ghost in that house? Can you imagine the noises you would hear at night? The my- oh. mysterious <laughs> noises. I'm putting yes. all y'all in timeout. <laughs> the, 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 well, the ghost, the ghost is always like moaning. Oh no! <laughs> we're, we're, we're well, sadly, sadly, it burned in 1991. Oh, it did. Burned uh, down. Yeah, the, the lady, uh, the lady who. Uh, the couple bought the house. The husband died, and the wife uh, went on a trip. And while she was gone, somebody broke in and stole all the guns and set the house on fire. Mm. And so that was the end of that. Yes, I, I just I love all these stories. Um, the I don't know the her story, the heat and air story. It's all great. I have a brother who does heat and air, and he makes a ton of money. So that's that's. Just a final thought for our author. Um, in researching these uh, these nonfiction historical books that I wrote, I found some wonderful legends that I couldn't prove, so I didn't include them in the in the books. But uh, there's there's one story about a man who owned a gas station not too far from where I lived, and my daddy said that he would pump gas in the front of the store and his wife was a prostitute and she would do other things in the back of the store. And oh, wow. uh, I never could prove that story, but I think I'm going to use some of these legends as uh, inspiration for some, uh, some uh, novels and short stories in the future. So I've got a plan as an author and uh, I want to hear about your plans. Your, um, your book obviously was well-written. Your pastor even wrote a review saying, this book is not as bad as I feared. Um, not as bad as I feared. <laughs> then your wife wrote, maybe you can get back to selling life insurance. So is this going to be your only book, or do you have more literary projects in the future? I'm working on a book right now. Uh, it, it won't be nearly as salacious as the last one. Um, it's, there's a... There was a resort in Spartanburg County by the name of Glen Springs Hotel in the little town of Glen Springs, almost uh, between uh, Spartanburg County and Union County, that my family owned from 1876 to about 1905. It was there for about 100 years, 1838 to 1938. And, um, and so I'm, I'm working on it. It'll, it'll be um, probably twice as long as... Um, this one and it'll be fully footnoted <laughs> because <laughs> it's all it's all uh, nonfiction. But um, I'm having a great time. I, I write for Columbia Metropolitan Magazine, and uh, and they give me assignments, and I and I'll research uh, different historical uh, things to write about. So I'm having a good time. Uh, Sunset Lodge in Georgetown: The Story of a Madam. The author David Hodges. And and what's the best way for people to find that book, David? 
they can go to uh, uh, Arcadia, the old um, history press, and online and get it there, or they can go to Amazon. Okay, uh, that's enough. Those are the those are the easiest ways. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, big thanks to uh, joining us, David. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, it was good to be with you. Thank you, David. All Thank right. you, David, so much. It was wonderful. Thank you. I mean. All right, so we would love you to go to the Wicked South podcast on Facebook. We'd like you to rate and share the episode with as many people as possible. Spread the word. Uh, and some people have been enjoying it, right, Seton? We have two great reviews on Apple. One says, yay, I love, love, love this podcast. Thanks, y'all, for all the work and effort it takes. Love that. Thank you. Um, also, another one, which was good. Great podcast. Love the stories and the storytellers. And we had a fantastic one on this episode. We really did. Now, uh, Michael has the... Okay, if his wife ever asks, if he's walking around, you see him in Walderboro or somewhere down there, and he's asking questions about prostitutes, it's for research. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> serious uh, If you see Michael DeWitt walking down the street in Hampton County going, anybody know where the prostitutes are? It's only <laughs> because he's trying to write a book. <laughs> I'm not going to get you in trouble, Michael. Don't worry. I, about will, it. I won't have much luck in Hampton, and uh, I'll have to go out of town. Looks like, but, uh, but I think I'm good. I, uh, I, I think I'm. I think I've outgrown the, the, those uh, those those carnal urges. Um, <laughs> I have more professional literary uh, uh, passions now. You are funny. <laughs> well, let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, mention our sponsors again, Mike, before we take off. Well, uh, guys, first uh, we want to thank our, our listeners. Um, whether you leave a kind uh, comment or not, just thank you for taking the time to to hear our stories and and um, support us. Uh, I want to thank Matt and Seton. You guys are are just as busy as I am. Y'all do a lot of great stuff on Impact and um, covering the the Murdoch uh, saga. And um, I've always been impressed with you guys. So thank y'all for partnering with me and thank our sponsors. Um, Kenny Kinsey and Associates, Rotten Little Bastard Distillery, and Palmetto Distillery in Anderson. And real soon, I've been scheduling some book dates, and we're going to announce a Moonshine and Mayhem book launch party. And I'm told it's going to be in Beaufort at a bookstore. And the good news is Rotten Little Bastard is going to be supplying some moonshine cocktails for our book launch party. So as soon as I get all the details formalized, it's going to be open to the public. I'm going to send out invitations to everyone, um, but bring your own uh, designated driver. (laughs) Well, I hope hope to be able to make that one. (laughs) Me too. Um, There we go. Any other comments from everybody? We ready to rock and roll? No, well, just one compliment since Michael gave us a compliment. I want to say two really awesome articles for the Greenville News this this week on the Murdoch stuff. He wrapped it up very nicely. Good job, Mike. Perfect job. Well, uh, there's an expression I like. Uh, even a blind hog will find an acorn every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody. We're so grateful that you spent time with us. There's a lot of choices. He chose us. That is awesome. And we'll talk soon, friend. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. 
Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.